You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Thank you, and I appreciate that uh, gracious introduction from Morgan and the invitation to uh, speak to all of you here this morning from God's Word. I preached my first sermon almost 60 years ago. I was barely 15. Uh, It was in my home church. The title was Slumbering Christians, which was unintentionally prophetic (laughs) because there were some folks who literally slumbered. But there were some who stayed wide awake, however, not because of the quality of the preaching, but they were just astonished at the novelty of a boy preacher in the pulpit. Some of you are wide awake right now, (laughs) astonished at the marvel of such an old preacher. (laughs) Though this is not a pulpit. (laughs) Um, We are in a series, as you see, called Beloved from uh, the New Testament um, letter of 1 John written by the Apostle John. Today's text is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, which will be coming up on the screen. It says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, looking at that passage, you'll see that John is using family language. You know, the New Testament writers use several metaphors to describe the church. Uh, it's, it's described as a body, and as a building, and as a bride, a, a field, a flock, an army, and a family. And this little passage can serve for us today as a lens through which, pardon the pun, some of you will get this, we can focus on the family. (laughs) Not, Not the American Christian nuclear family, though that's all fine, but the spiritual family of Christ, his church. John addresses in this passage, dear children, fathers, young men, saying the same thing twice to each. What does he mean by those terms? Who's he talking to here? Well, he is not referring to literal age groups in the church. The term dear children probably refers to the whole church to which he's writing because that's how John uses uh, dear children, little children throughout the letter. It's it's a term of, of deep affection, pastoral affection. But then the terms fathers and young men probably refer to subgroups in the church who are at different levels of spiritual maturity. So what does this passage show us about the church as God's family? What does it show us about Mosaic as part of God's family? Three points. The church is a family of forgiven sinners. The church is the family of God the Father. And the church is a spiritually multi-generational family. In verse 12, John says, Dear children, I write to you because your sins have been forgiven 
on account of his name. Now the word forgiven there in Greek is in the perfect tense and that refers to a past action which has an ongoing impact and effect. What he's talking about here is their conversion. He's reminding them and he's reassuring them that when they converted to Christ, something incredible happened. All their past sins were forgiven. They were granted a full pardon by God. When you, were con when you converted to Christ, all your sins were forgiven. You were granted a full pardon by God. Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch Christian woman who was a survivor of a Nazi concentration camp because she and her family were imprisoned for harboring Jews in their attic in their house. And she was a very popular Christian speaker and writer. She had a wonderful saying. You may want to memorize this. It's so good. God buries our sins in the depths of the sea and then he puts up a no fishing sign. Now, the Christian's assurance of forgiveness, what's it based on? Well, John tells us it's on account of his name. That, that is shorthand for the person and the saving work of Jesus. There is only one basis on which your sins, my sins, anybody's sins can be forgiven by a holy God. Only one. And that basis is what the theologians call the finished work of Christ. His substitutionary death, his all-sufficient atoning sacrifice, when he died in our place, bearing the penalty for our sins so we could go free. So a common bond of all Christians everywhere is this wonderful experience of the total forgiveness of all the selfish cruel, immoral, petty, criminal things of our past. One Sunday morning back in the 1960s, a young man uh, walked into Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California. This guy had never attended church service in his life, but when he woke up that morning, he felt the strangest impulse to go to church. Now, he was a child of the 60s, so he'd been living a hedonistic life, you know, you know, a free love and lots of drugs and, and he'd really enjoyed it. He just enjoyed it. <laughs> but uh, he'd come to a place where he felt jaded. He felt empty. So he thought, well, I'll go to church. And he went to one nearby. And uh, there he was. He, he was. he was just feeling like, you know, he was conspicuous. He, he was so nervous. And, you know, what am I doing here? But, but he stayed. And it just so happened that the pastor that day was teaching from a text that's coming up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 through 10. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. That's not an exhaustive list, by the way. And some of you used to be like this. The preacher paused for a moment and he was impressed to do something he'd never done before and he never did again. He asked everyone in the congregation who had done any of those sins listed in that passage to raise their hands. And immediately all across the sanctuary, hundreds of 
Hands were lifted in the air. And there, here was this young man who up to that point had thought Christians, you know, were phonies and holier than thou and all that. And he looked out at that sea of hands and he said to himself, these are my kind of people. <laughs> and then the pastor resumed the reading of the passage. And some of you used to be like this. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. And at that moment the young man surrendered his life to Christ. And received the full pardon of God. The forgiveness of all his sins. The church is a family of forgiven sinners. Mosaic is a family of forgiven sinners. And maybe somebody here is like that young man today. You came to church, you weren't quite sure why. You're empty. You feel you're missing something in your life. Well, we're your kind of people. We're your kind of people. We're just, we're just beggars who have found bread. And the bread of life just offered to you. Secondly, the church is the family of God the Father. He, uh, he writes in verse 13, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. Again, uh, perfect tense. You have known the Father, literally. So not only had they received at their conversion this, this stupendous gift of the wiping out of all of their sins buried into the depths of the sea, something incredible had happened also. They, they had become, in that moment, children of God. They'd been born of God by their experience of what is called the new birth. So they had entered in a moment into a vital and eternal relationship with God as their father. The church is the family of God the Father. Christians have a unique filial relationship with God. Now, non-Christians are loved by God because they're made in God's image, but they do not know him as father. And you know, there are millions of devoutly religious people in the world to whom it would be unthinkable, it would be almost blasphemous to address God as father. In Islam, there are 99 different names for God, did you know? And father is not one of them. Bilkwis Sheikh was a woman born into a super rich aristocratic Muslim family in Pakistan. And when she was in her late 40s, she began receiving a series of dreams in which John the Baptist appeared and Jesus appeared. And, and you know, she had a lot of these. And that led her to read the Bible, comparing it to the Koran. The Bible, the Koran. Which book is God's book? She struggled with that. One day, she took her sick grandson to the hospital. She was reading the Bible in his room, and a doctor who also was a Catholic nun came in and was surprised to see this Muslim woman reading the Bible. And she said, why are you reading the Bible, may I ask? Bilquis replied, I am searching for God. So this doctor, nun, said, well, you should pray to him and ask him to show the way. And she said, talk to him as if he were your father. Bilquis was shocked. And she wrote later what her thought was. Talk to him as if he were my father? The thought shook my soul in the peculiar way truth has of being at once startling and comforting. Later at home, in her bedroom, she knelt 
uh, on her prayer rug to pray. And uh, she struggled to get the words out because I'm telling you, there was some demonic resistance there. She struggled, but finally she got the words out. My father, my father. And as soon as she said those words, she was bathed in his loving presence. She suddenly saw that Jesus is the son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. She committed her life to him. She went on to write her spiritual autobiography, which I commend to you, called I Dared to Call Him Father. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 15 and 16, and I'm paraphrasing here, that the Holy Spirit within us, that's another marvelous thing that happens the moment you become a Christian. All your sins are forgiven. You're born into God's family and the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus comes to live within you. That's a package deal. That's pretty good. And the Holy Spirit confirms to our spirit that who we really are, we are God's sons and daughters and causes us to cry out in response, Paul says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Papa, Father. I was struck very much by something Pastor Brett uh, shared uh, before baptism just a few Sundays ago. Brett revealed that the first thing God said to him in his mind as a newborn Christian was this, Brett, I am going to father you. And Brett was transparent with us and he shared that uh, he grew up without a father in the home and he wasn't sure what, what God meant. See, Brett had a, had a dad deficit in his life. But God was promising to fill that as his perfect heavenly father. Some of you have dad deficits. You saw your dad beat your mom when he was drunk. Your dad was hooked on crack. Your dad left and deserted you when you were six years old and left you in charge of your mother. Your dad abused you in horrible ways. Your dad was a workaholic who never gave you any fixed attention. But I want to tell you, whatever that dad deficit is, whatever that father wound is, knowing God as your father, having him confirm that you are his son and daughter can bring healing. In 1 John 3, 1 and 2, John says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now, I want you to get how amazing that is. Don't ever take this for granted. The almighty and all holy God, out of his great love for us, has granted to us who were rebels against him, who were his enemies in the past, he has granted to us by his grace the utterly undeserved right and privilege to be his children. The creator and ruler of the cosmos has granted to you and to me free and unlimited access into his presence through his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Brett, for your hallelujah. The church is... Um, Spiritually multi-generational family. That's the next point. John addresses in this little passage the members of two spiritual generations in the church, fathers and young men. Now, about half of you are wondering, why? What about the women? Well, it would be a mistake to infer that John has in mind exclusively the men of the church because these terms, like Paul's use of the word brothers in his letters, can include both Christian men and women, and that's how I'm going to use it going forward. So, 
John's words to the fathers and mothers of the church family. He says the same thing to them twice. He says, I write to you, fathers and mothers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Now, who's that? Who is the one from the beginning? It's surely a reference to Christ, to his preexistence, his eternal deity. Now, the word for know here is very interesting because it carries the implication of coming to know by experience, not just by reading a book, not even the holy book, but coming to know him by experience. So, who are the fathers and mothers of the church? Well, they are the folks who know Jesus intimately. They know him from long experience, and they bear a likeness to him in their lives that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. You can see Christ in their lives. And, and they've also gained an eternal perspective on life, and, and they, they are very conscious all the time of the heavenly realm. They're as much there as they are here. When I was a teenager in the thriving metropolis of Custer City, Oklahoma, one of the hot tourist spots in Oklahoma, <laughs> population 450, including stray dogs and cats, <laughs> I had a paper out. My favorite customer was a woman named Joella Hendricks, who was up in years physically, probably at the age I am now, and uh, she was quite amazing. I'd never met anyone like her. I met her very soon after I became a Christian. And every Saturday, when I went out to collect money from all my customers, I always made my last stop at her house because she had cookies. <laughs> and she had a Coke or a hot chocolate or whatever. But that wasn't the real reason. It's because I just loved talking to her. She called herself an old-fashioned Methodist. She was a Wesleyan Methodist. Now, she knew the scriptures very well, very well. But more than that, she knew God. And when Mrs. Hendricks talked about Jesus, it was like he was right there in the room. And I remember one time I looked around just half expecting to see him standing over my shoulder. It was weird. It was a good weird. And sometimes her very countenance seemed to reflect his presence. I remember saying to my mother, and by the way, in our church, a Methodist was almost a heretic. I said, Mother, when Mrs. Hendricks, who is a Methodist, talks about Jesus, her face glows. Nobody's face in our church glows. <laughs> Why is that? Well, to me, she epitomized the mature believer, the spiritual mother in this case, who, as John says, has known him from the beginning. But then John has words to the young Christians in the church family. He says, I write to you, young men and young women, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, young women, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, who are these? Well, we have a lot of these here at Mosaic. I know, I know some of them. These, these, these young Christians, they, they fall in love with Jesus. They are fully devoted to Jesus. They, 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 they are learning to hear God. They want to hear God. They're exercising their spiritual gifts. They're into the word and worship and all that kind of stuff. They are involved in the mission of the church. And, and it is this group of young disciples here today as back then in John's day 
who are really in the middle of the fight, spiritually. They are the ones who, who are engaging uh, in the battle of living out their faith, out there in the world, in the struggles of the world, in a society that is hostile to the gospel. We are living in a society that is called a post-Christian society. And it's pretty difficult to raise your kids in such a society. It's pretty difficult to go to work as the only Christian in that society. That's what they're facing. But John says, you're strong. You're strong. You got spiritual strength, vim and vigor, because they have a zeal. They have a zeal that is most often not found among the older believers because we're tired. <laughs> and John affirms that they're strong. The word of God uh, lives in them. You see, it's the word of God that lives in them that gives them their strength. And the word of God here is not, just, is not equivalent to the Bible, though it, of course, would include the scriptures, but it's the truth of Jesus that is in here, that has been activated and is being applied by the power of the Spirit. And you younger Christians, you need this strength because you are in the thick of spiritual conflict with the devil and his demonic forces. You are facing, your children are facing things that were unimaginable to me when I was your age. Interestingly, John does not urge them to defeat the devil. They're fighting the devil all the time. He doesn't say, go out there and whip the devil. Rather, he says, you have, perfect tense, you have overcome the evil one. What's that all about? He's reminding them that the decisive victory over Satan and his army of dark angels has already been won. It is an accomplished fact. It happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And when you became a Christian, all of these wonderful things happened, the forgiveness of your sins, you were born into God's family, received the Holy Spirit, and you overcame the evil one. Because you're in union with Christ and you share in his victory. Well, you're wondering, if I've overcome the evil one, why does he keep hitting me so hard? It's a very good question. Oscar Kuhlman, a 20th century theologian, used the analogy of D-Day and V-E Day in World War II. On D-Day, June 6, 1944, Allied troops established a beachhead at Normandy, France, and began their relentless push against the German forces. That was the decisive victory of the war in Europe, and it was evident to everyone, even the German high command, that Nazi Germany was doomed. Yet, V-E Day, the day that final victory was declared, didn't come until 11 months later. May 8th, 1945. What happened between those, D-Day and V-E-Day? Ferocious fighting, the Battle of the Bulge, many casualties, many losses. Where are we living as Christians? We're living between the D-Day of Christ's victory through his death and resurrection and the V-E-Day of his return when Satan will be utterly destroyed. And by the way, he knows he's defeated. He knows he's licked. He's not going down without a fight. It's hard, but not to worry. Because, as Paul says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And by his word living in us, activated in us by the Holy Spirit, we have the strength. You have the strength, I tell you. Whatever skirmish you're in, whatever battle you're in, you have the strength to prevail.
Pardon me just a moment. Uh, so within the family of God's children, there are these two groups of believers, two levels of maturity. The fathers and mothers and the young men and young women. And you know, the church functions a whole lot better when these two groups are intentional about being intergenerational. Multi-generational is one thing. Intergenerational is something different. That's connecting with one another. This can happen in a number of ways. And one of the most effective is, um, is this. One of the most effective uh, ways is when older and younger Christians intergenerationally relate to one another through what's called spiritual mentoring. That may be a new term to many of you. Here's what it is. By the way, I didn't, uh, I didn't write this definition myself, but it's really good. Christian mentoring is a relationship that takes place within the context of God's word and the Holy Spirit's direction as a younger believer pursuing spiritual maturity absorbs the experience of an older believer seeking to impart their wisdom and experience. Now, I've done spiritual mentoring for a decade now, maybe longer. And I want to tell you, this is one of the greatest needs in the church today. And if you are an older believer who knows Jesus intimately, who've walked with him, who are growing, have grown in the fruit of the Spirit, you know, you can do this. You can do this. You, you, can, you can be a spiritual mentor, you know? And it's something I have found, and this surprised me at first, that many younger Christians have a felt need for. They, they need it. They, they, they don't just look at us old folks and say, oh, they don't know anything. They're old, you know, they're about to die, whatever. No. No. Some of them look at us that way. Okay. We, I look at them and say, what do you know? You don't know anything. But... But, but these younger, younger Christians, my, my wife and I, we've experienced with couples, with, with uh, young women for her, young men for me, they, they really are seeking a spiritual father and mother, especially those that have bad deficits. An older believer to come alongside them and impart the wisdom that the old believer, older believer has gained through their years of experiencing God. You see, we older folks, we've been writing our own Pilgrim's Progress. And we have a lot of stories to share. And this can provide practical guidance for a whole host of real life issues, which like I said, I, I didn't experience growing up as a young Christian. It's just such a different, in some ways, much more dangerous world. We can help. And it's not one-sided. It involves listening as well as talking, learning as well as instructing, because we older guys, we don't have it all together. We don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. And we can learn from you. And most importantly, involves praying together. Being spiritual friends, right? There's an old gospel song by a guy, nobody here um, under 40 probably will have heard of him, Bill Gaither. The song is The Family of God, and it will not be listed anywhere among the great hymns of the church. Uh, it was written in 1970. It would sound a little cheesy today, probably. But there's a line in that song that has been in my mind as I've prepared this service. And uh, I think it suggests an appropriate response to this message. It's, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. 
One thing I prayed in preparing this is that the Holy Spirit would work in all of our hearts to fill us afresh with gladness, with gratitude, and wonder, wonder to be a part of the family of God, a family of forgiven sinners whose sins have been buried in the depths of the sea, a family of God's beloved children whose spirit bears witness to our spirits that we are his children, a part of a family of multi-generational disciples of Jesus. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Well, in a few moments, um, after I pray and after Corey dismisses everyone, Pastor Corey, um, uh, members of our Mosaic prayer team will come up and be available to pray for you about anything you need prayer for. But I have two specific needs on my heart. Some of you um, maybe can't say that you're so glad right now to be part of the family of God because you've been hurt by the family of God. You've been wounded. You need prayer for healing. Actually, I've got three things. Secondly, some of you are, are struggling with this thing of forgiveness. You believe it. You believe that Jesus is your savior. You trusted in him, but you did some really rotten things in your past. And you still struggle with shame and feelings of guilt over that, that God doesn't want you to carry. You need healing for that. Some of you here have pretty big dad deficits. Some of you are struggling because of traumatic father wounds that are so deep and so painful. It's very hard for you to relate to God as father. And if you have any of these struggles in your relationship with God, please, I urge you, I urge you from my heart to come and receive prayer for a fresh infusion of God's grace, a fresh outpouring of the Father's love into your heart. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.